I prayed a lot about this. I didn't want to do it. I get very nervous about these things. Um, but God was kind of like, nope, you're doing this. So I'm here. Hi. Um, I had prepared this really great message for VN, and I thought, I'll just use that for this. Like, I, I have to work a lot, so I just, I'll save time, live better, Walmart, and use that message. <laughs> and, um, God, on Wednesday, when I'm, like, about to start working, I was going to work, like, a total of, like, 50 hours from Wednesday to right now. And he was like, nope, you're doing a new message. You should probably make time to talk to me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, plenty of time. So I haven't slept in a few days. But <laughs> um, he gave me a message. And it's, I do want to say it's amazing that even when we don't have time and we think there's no way I can learn a new thing with God, I'm just going to stick with the old thing because I don't got time for that. He meets us where we are. When we're dead tired at work in the laundry room, he'll meet us with a message. Um, and it's, it's astounding. So wrote this at 3 a.m. I'm so sorry. Um, so if you're turning with me, if you could go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 7. We're going to start there. Or chapter 8. I'm sorry, I messed up the word. Um, this sermon is about the nature of sin and the nature of grace in your life, which is so fun. Um, so we're going to start in chapter 8, verse 15. So leading up to this, Paul is talking, and he's talking about how he wants to do good so badly, and then he ends up doing bad. And he's in this wrestling and in this war. And he says, well, I mean, this one part, he's like just in this huge mental battle about how do I live righteously when all I want to do is sin. And I want to live righteously, but I keep sinning and I keep falling. And he says, who can save me from this? And the next verse says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The answer to your question on who can stop this cycle, who can break the brokenness in my life and make it whole, is Jesus. But he goes on to say, he goes on this whole rant. Paul loves his rants and his burn-on sentences. But he ends it, and he starts summing it up, and he says in verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we can cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So I was looking at that, and it says the spirit of bondage to fear, and it says the spirit of adoption that God hears us when we cry out. So I wanted to talk about the two spirits. So to start out with, um, I wanted to unlock that. Um, I wanted to read a thing, if I can find it. Um, when we talk about I'm so lost give me two seconds so when we are starting out in our lives we find ourselves stuck in a stink hole of quicksand and fear and, and chains right so you're stuck there and you're crying out, to, and you're trying to figure yourself out. And if you know anything about quicksand, the more you try to struggle and get yourself out, the faster you sink and the more stuck you get. So we're there, and we're stuck. And finally, 
we cry out to God. And we're like, save me, God. And he comes right then, always, and he pulls you out, and he washes you in his grace, and he holds you close to his heart. And that's righteousness. For a long time, I used to look at righteousness as me being right with God, doing the right stuff. And it was like trying to build myself up to an ideal of righteousness. But that's what they did with the Tower of Babel. They tried to build themselves a way to get to God, to get to where God was. And God hated that, and he hit that thing with a wrecking ball. When we're trying to be righteous, we can't build ourselves into an ideal. We have to let ourselves be scooped up to the heart of God. Holiness is being close to the heart of God, and that's it. It's not trying to do everything right. It's being right because he's holding you right there by his heart. Um, you have a choice in that, though, because this is where it's talking about with Paul. This isn't about salvation anymore. This is about what spirit you're living under, what thing you're feeding. You can feed the spirit of bondage that picks chains back up, or you can feed the spirit of adoption that stays right there close to God's heart. Um, I had this picture a few weeks ago where we're all wrapped up in our chains, our chains of fear and addiction and every sin and thing that are holding us. And we're following God, but we're like hopping along because we're all chained up. And we can't love fully because we can't move our hands because we're wrapped up in these chains. And God comes and he frees us from them with his blood. And he says, child, come and follow me and walk in this freedom with me. And we're like, yes, Lord, I'm going to do that. I want to walk in your freedom. And we follow him and we reach back behind us and we pick the chain back up and we wrap it around our neck. Why do we do that? We do it because we identify ourselves as our sins. We don't know who we are without the sin in our lives. For so long, we think, that's just the way I am. I'm always going to be afraid. I'm always going to be anxious. I'll always have this problem because that's just the way I am and I can't help it. And when God takes that away from us, we get a little nervous because we don't know who we are. Your identity is not in your chains. Stop picking up your chains. God wants them gone, done, gone off of you so you can walk freely and in his calling. And you cannot do that if you're hopping along, wrapped up in chains that you keep picking up. Um, if we're going to turn to a new place now. Um, First Peter chapter 1, and I, can't, I didn't write down the verse reference, so give me a second. Um, verse 22. So the first Peter, chapter 1, verse 22. I love Peter because he gets me. Um, he loves his lists. I love a good list. It really helps me because I'm always like, you said holiness, but what did you mean by that? So Peter breaks it down. He's like, this is your list. Um, so <laughs> um, in Hebrews, we hear all the time this verse that says, cast off your chains and walk and run the, patient, run the race with patience. It says laying aside all weights. And I'm always sitting there, I'm going, what weights are you talking about, God? Like, I need a list. Well, Peter gave us a list. Um, it's actually in chapter 2, verse 1. I'm a mess. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> um, so it says, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby so the things that we're supposed to lay off the chains that we have we get mixed up on what they are we think of like the sins like 
murder and adultery and that stuff. And we're like, oh, I'm not doing that, so I must have laid that off. I'm good. But the things that God wants us to lay aside, the chains that are holding us, are malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy. And I think that's stuff that the body of Christ deals with, like, a serious amount. We're constantly caught in our envies and in our anger and in hypocrisy. And we say we want to follow God, but then we go and we sin. The same thing that was Paul was talking about in um, the other verse. So, you lost. Give me two seconds. I'm so sorry. If you want to follow God with a fervent heart and love him fully, you have to lay aside the envy and the doubt and the fear and the anger and the hypocrisy of going back and forth and laying down the chains and picking them up and laying down the chains and picking them up. And the only way to do that is by finding a new identity. Because when you identify yourself by your sin or the nature of anger or the nature of fear in your life, there's no way you can live without it because that's who you are. But God doesn't want that to be who you are. He wants to make you a new person. He wants to give you a new name. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in Isaiah in um, chapter 62. And God says, your name was once ruined and rejected. And everything you owned was once destroyed. But now your name is my delight. And your land is under covenant with me. And that was the Nadia translation. But, you know, basically says that. <laughs> your name used to be fear and anger. And it used to be those chains that you're carrying and that you can't let go of. But when you choose to change the identity of your heart to delight, to being adopted, to being a child of God, you don't have to pick those things back up. Your identity is not what you were. It's who you're becoming. For too long, you have defined yourself by your sin. You limit yourself to what you once were, and you refuse to grow in purity through grace. It is time, O oh child of God, to cast off the things that are holding you back, the things that keep you at a distance from God. The blood of Jesus was poured out for you to give you a new identity and a new name. Once, you lived under the spirit of bondage, and it gave you fear. But now, you have been chosen, called, and redeemed. And God calls you his delight. You have been called so you don't have to fear because the Lord gives breath and he gives spirit to you. He will lead and protect you as you do his will. You stand witness before a rebellious people. You stand before the children of the world. Let your words be only God's words and let it fill you. Your thoughts, only God's thoughts and let them guide you. Your calling is to guide the people of the world and the people of rebellion into purity, into righteousness. Put off your childish sins, your childish sins, this petty brokenness of picking back up the things that God has already taken off of you. It's childish and God is calling you out of it. And hold on to the truth, the truth of who God is and who God is in you. If you eat of the word of God and let it fill you, let only its fullness, completeness flow out of you, you don't have to pay any mind to those who speak against you, whose allegiance is with the world. Their word is not God's word. Listen to God's word, not the words of others. All that matters in your calling is this, that God 
saved you from the thing that you once were. And that now your words are God's words. And that cannot be taken lightly. The things you say are a representation of what God is speaking to the world. And we need to start acting like it. Though your words might be given in love, they will not always be taken with kindness. But that doesn't mean that your words were wrong. There is a war inside of you fighting for you to choose the way of bondage instead of the way of adoption. It's time for you to choose because so long the body of Christ picks back up the chains and we choose the spirit of bondage when God is calling us into freedom and then we complain to God that we're in bondage and why didn't he free us when we're the ones who pick the chain back up. God is calling for a people who will stop and let go of their chains. God is calling out to his people, crying out to you, his child, to let go of your chains and to follow him with a whole and a sincere heart covered in the torrent of his grace. It's time to walk in purity. I, when, when I talked about righteousness a little bit earlier and how it's not the building of an ideal, but it's being held close to God's heart. And when we look at holiness and purity, we think like that means just not doing all these bad things. But recently for me, God has been defining sin and defining purity for me. Purity is letting go of anything that could possibly create distance between you and God. God wants you to be close to his heart. He wants you to, that picture of him picking you up out of the dirt and holding you close to his heart, he wants you to stay close to his heart. And when you let things like worry or fear or what somebody else said or your past get with you, it creates distance between you and the heart of God. He wants there to be no distance between you and him. And that's purity, is stripping away and tearing down everything that could create distance between you and God so that you can be right there in his heart. Um, I was going to, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do this. Um, a while ago, God gave me this thing that I, I read it pretty often whenever I, I'm feeling the feels. And um, I wanted to read it to you guys. Well, I guess I'm going to now. I didn't really want to. But I'm going to read it to you guys. And um, this is my story. And I think it's the story for a lot of people. But the word that it keeps using and that I use in there is unfolding. And um, unfolding is an active state. And I think we like, to, we like to snap our fingers and everything's good and we're pure and we're holy and we're doing this thing right. But it's not always a snappy thing. And it's an active state. It's choosing moment by moment, day by day, to put yourself closer to God's heart and away from the things that keep distance between you. Um, so I'm going to read that now. Um, every hurt and every pain in our heart causes us to instinctually fold in upon ourselves. We make ourselves small. We take the words people have said about us and bury them deep into the folds of our damaged heart. I, in my life, had folded my heart so far that there was nothing left of it but a seed of bitterness rooted in the place where my heart once stood. I found myself without the ability to feel. I walked through the motions, mimicking life numbly, an empty shell of who I was called to be. 
never allowing anyone close enough to see my pain for fear that they would leave me too. I had felt abandoned, rejected, and forced to find my own way, yet God was still there, even though I couldn't feel him and I couldn't see him. In my bitterness and in my anger, he stood, telling me that I had no longer to hold on to the pain I buried deep in my heart. He proclaimed that I would no longer live as though I were dead. He spoke his life over my heart, and he waited. Because God will never force you to do something that you're not willing to do. My heart was like Lazarus, dead and given up on by everyone. But what did Jesus do as he stood in front of the grave of Lazarus? He wept. He felt the pain of Lazarus's death. He had compassion. Compassion means to give your heart to someone. Jesus didn't just give up on Lazarus. He didn't accept the hopelessness of the situation, but he wept. He let his heart feel what I had refused to let my heart feel. The pain I couldn't bear, he took upon himself. He wept because he fully understood completely what both Lazarus and I felt. And he didn't stop there. He took all of his compassion and he met it with action. And he brought back to life Lazarus just as he will bring back to life my torn and broken heart. And so my Savior stood before my heart as he stood before the grave of Lazarus and he spoke. My child, come awake. Open yourself up to feel the power and the force of my love and the torrent of my grace. Stop holding on to that bitter seed and allow it to unfold into a living, beating heart. Allow me to heal your heart. Just let go. In this moment, I feel fully known and completely loved and entirely protected. For the first time ever, I feel totally safe to be exactly who I was created to be. And that's a pretty scary thing. And as though I am speeding through time, blossoming and unfolding into a beautiful flower, I am bursting with hope. I am alive. In a bare moment, my bitter seed is transformed into a seed of hope. A seed of hope. And it is pushing past its boundaries into a flower of love. Love that begs to be shared. But then I come back to reality. I've been made new, but the old way still tries to push itself through. I feel like two people walking around in the same body. People reach for a hug, and part of me reaches back, desperate to share the love I found, but then the old pain surges back up, and it makes me draw back in fear. I am torn, and I am broken, and I'm living in duality, and it hurts, because it's not how I was created to live. I want to curl up and refold my heart back into the seed, because it was comfortable, and I was used to it. In an attempt to escape the years-old hurt that I had never allowed to heal, because when you have a heart that's wounded and you wrap it up in the chains of your sin and brokenness, it doesn't allow it to heal. It's still raw and open underneath those chains and they're constricting it and it can't heal. And when God rips those chains off, it starts bleeding again and it's not comfy and it's not good, but it allows it to heal. And we want to immediately, once it starts hurting again, we wanna wrap it back up in the chains and never allow it to heal. But God is calling you out and saying, let it heal. Break open your heart and let the wounds flow again so that I can heal them the right way. Because sometimes, in order to be healed right, you have to be broken again. I refuse to turn back to the old me, the bitter me, and the angry me. The dead is gone, and I do not want it back. God's word sustains me. And I found this scripture that I 
live by now. And it's in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. And it says, plant the seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your heart for now it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower his righteousness upon you. Righteousness is right standing with God. Righteousness is God pulling you out of your filth to stand beside him and accepting you completely, exactly as you are, but loving you enough to make you better. Love grows out of righteousness, and love changes people. His acceptance of me instigates change in my life. God has already accepted me as I am, made me righteous though I'm torn and though I live in hypocrisy. It is my job now to soften the ground of my hardened heart so that his love can grow freely. That means pulling out the weeds of doubt and of fear for they choke out the new life as it tries to grow. That means allowing myself to feel, to accept it totally when someone says I love you, especially when my savior says he loves me. The old me would reject the love and say that I don't deserve it because I can't have that because that would penetrate the stony ground of my heart, but no more, because now I choose to accept that love and I make myself believe it. And soon, the one flower that grew out of the seed of hope that had come from that seed of bitterness will produce a crop of love because a field of flower, a flower doesn't just stand alone. It creates more and it creates life and it grows. And so you have a whole crop of love the places in me that were once dead are now pulsing with life. Because I am accepted, because I am loved, I can show love. I am unfolding. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 says, And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. Remember how I defined compassion earlier as giving your heart to someone? God gave you his heart. That was the love he poured out for you. He didn't leave you with your bitter heart and the stony ground. He replaced it with his heart to grow in you. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's something that we need to accept and love and grow in. Um, I love the book of Ezekiel because it is a good allegory for life, I think. Um, because... When you read, everyone always preaches about, like, just the dry bones part, and we go, yeah, and we're all cheering because of the victory. But have you read what comes before that? It's kind of dismal. Like, the whole book of Ezekiel is God calling out this dude who did not want to be called out. And he's, and, the, and Ezekiel's like, fine, I'll follow you, but begrudgingly. And all God asks him to preach is that sin is bad, and people hate this dude. Like, they want to stone him all the time. Like, everyone wants Ezekiel dead. And he's like, I didn't even want to do this. God called me into this. But now you guys hate me. And I'm still stuck telling you that sin is bad. And this is terrible. And it's just over and over again, God telling his people to turn from their wicked ways through Ezekiel. And Ezekiel's doing it, but he's not happy about it. And then it hits this turning point where it clicks for Ezekiel. And he starts preaching of the redemption of God that comes. And God talks about purging and creating purity and destroying the people. And there's like famine and there's flood and there's fire and there's like a lot of people dying. And then it hits chapter 36, or sorry, 36, where 
a new heart is given. And then after that, just a few chapters later, we come to a valley full of dry bones. These dry bones are the people that were destroyed by God. Think about that. This is a valley of dry bones that were just destroyed and God telling his people that their sin was hurting them. And he sends Ezekiel right there into the middle of it. And he says, I'm going to breathe life back into these bones through you. Because God breaks us down and he strips away everything that's not of him until we can be pure. And sometimes that leaves us a literal dead skeleton in the middle of a field. But then he breathes life back into us. Don't miss the beginning of that story. Because we like to hear the victory part. We like to hear about the breath coming back into them. But we don't like the broken part. We don't like that God's going to take away everything from us that keeps us from him. But he promises that he will give you a new heart. And he will give you new life if you just trust him. Um, I'm going to sum up a little bit. But this is a lot and it was very messy and I'm sorry. But I want to encourage you all to study this and to find it and read Romans 7 and 8, like the whole thing. I wanted to just get up here and just read those chapters and walk away for a little bit because I was like, that stands on its own. But instead, I'm going to give you homework. (laughs) And um, chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Romans are just beautiful. And it's so God's grace. And it shows you his righteousness in you and that this grace just covers you in a flood um like uh pastor dusty said i'm going to dance but the song needs some explaining and i say this like literally every time i dance i'm sorry i always choose songs that need explaining um this song um one of my friends showed it to me and at first i didn't really like it because it's a little bit not my style but i started listening to the words and i kind of started to understand it Um, The title of the song is Felix Culpa, which is a Latin phrase, and it means a fortunate falling. And I kind of started listening to the song and looking into what that means and, like, listening to the artists and what they had to say about what that means. The fortunate falling is when you fall off of the throne in your heart and God takes it over. It is the most fortunate, happy moment of your life is when you fall off that throne and you let God get on it. And then there's a second part to it because the other fortunate falling is when you let those chains of bitterness and fear and sin fall off of you and you walk in your freedom. So if for me, dancing a song uh, about whatever God is working on in my life makes it applicable to my life. If that doesn't work for you, I would encourage you to close your eyes and just listen to the words because they're powerful words. Um, so I'm going to go down there to dance. Um, <laughs> but let's pray really fast. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for calling us into your righteousness. Father, I pray that we will lay aside all malice and envy and hypocrisy. Father, that we will live with single-mindedness towards you, not in duality of character, with bitterness eating away at the love that you've planted in our hearts. Father, I pray that we will come to you with whole hearts, ready to experience your love. Father, flood us with your grace. Wash away all the parts of us that create distance between me and you. Father, thank you for your grace. 
In Jesus' name.